0: Yeah. All right. All right. We're back. Welcome to this, the Red Bulletin Podcast. I'm your host, Andreas Georges. We're talking to top performers in the worlds of adventure, sports, culture, tech. And uh, this week, we've got a preview podcast. If you'll notice, if you've been following along with us last week, we didn't have a preview podcast. We we gave you the full podcast with Tom Bilyeu. And the reason was that he put things so succinctly that we really couldn't, like, find anything to extract from that and and dive deeper on. But we managed to do that with next week's guest, uh, who really kind of made his name as a storyteller when he began as a commentator for the X Games. Now, most of you know the X Games. It's the annual celebration, both in summer and winter, of uh, extreme sports, action sports. And the very first one in 1995 is... It's quite a story, actually. Uh, it, it, it dovetails at a time when uh, action sports were were just starting to hit the mainstream, but were really still kind of a niche thing, something that brands took a hold of. Uh, until uh, a man took a stroll to a local Barnes & Noble in 1993, a man named Ron Semayo, a, na- a man whose name I'm absolutely butchering, uh, and and started perusing the racks of of all the sports magazine titles. So, what did action sports look like in 1993? Well, Tony Hawk already had built up a cultish following. Numerous BMX and climbing and mountain biking magazines had a high circulation and loyal subscribers, but there was nothing really bringing the sports together. That's at least what Semio thought as he browsed the publishing racks at the local Barnes and Noble. I'm guessing it was in Connecticut because. Semio was a program director at ESPN, which had just launched an alternative network designed to reach a different, uh, younger demographic. It's called, of course, ESPN2. Very ingenious, logical name. They needed content, and Extreme Sports, as it was known at the time, needed an occasion to celebrate uh, on that new platform. So Semio decided he would provide that occasion, and uh, his theory was that viewers would flock to it. After all, brands were already using extreme sports to pitch their products. And if you could see me in the studio right now, you'd see the air quotes I put around that term, extreme sports. For those of a certain age, who could forget the Mountain Dew commercials of the early 90s featuring mountain bikers one-upping each other down a mountainside all while slamming a Dew? There's uh, air quotes with that again. They actually said that as a tagline, or uh, my favorite commercial with a group of boastful grandmothers at a garden lunch, each of them one upping one another with tales of their grandsons, quote, ripping a whitewater freefall or, quote, catching some wicked air. The winner, the one whose grandson does the do. In this context, M.I.O. pitched his idea to his bosses, and two years later, the first Extreme Games, as they were called were held in June 1995 in that brimming cauldron of extreme sports talent, Rhode Island. The first events were skateboarding, bungee jumping, barefoot skiing, water skiing, rollerblading, oh yes, rollerblading, mountain biking, BMX, sky surfing, imagine parachuting with boards, street lugeing, sport climbing, and kite skiing. What is a kite skier, you ask? Well, it's a guy on water skis getting pulled by a kite. And it was included because Semio saw a feature on it in a magazine. And when he called up the subject of that piece and asked him to gather the 10 best kite skiers in the country together, he said, absolutely. Problem was, only two really knew how to do it, and that was the article's subject and his brother. Of the 10 who gathered in Rhode Island that uh, wonderful June day, one hit the rocks along the course face first. The other got blown so far off course he had to take a taxi back to the starting line. Quote, it looked like a Wiley e. Coyote cartoon, <laughs> Semio re- later recalled in the excellent oral history of ESPN. Those guys have all the fun. The network at that point spent $12 million on the event. This was a sum that they had never before spent on original programming. So there was a lot at stake. There were crowds, there was neon, so much neon, so, so much neon green, neon pink. Seriously, did they just discover neon as a color in the 1990s? I've, for some reason, neon defines the early 90s unlike any other color on the Pantone color wheel. They filmed... The 350 competitors with uh, camera packages that were still in their infancy, they were lipstick-sized cameras on the fingers of the competitors. ESPN crews attached cameras to the competitors' helmets, who raged in age from a 14-year-old skateboarder to a 52-year-old kite skier. They had an estimated $300,000 in prize cash to hand out. Not too much, but... A lot more than was currently available to athletes in those relatively niche sports at the moment. And the athletes griped about the judging. In one case, they ordered the skateboarding competition to be re-scored entirely. And the general newness uh, of having corporate overlords tell them what to do was also kind of a, a, an issue with these uh, alternative athletes. The critics hated it. One writer called it the Psycho-Olympics. Another dismissed the quote-unquote trash sports that it featured. But an estimated 200,000 people came, and an estimated 65 million tuned into each primetime telecast, way more than the executives had anticipated. So it was a success. By 1996, they'd already changed the name to the less cringe-inducing X Games, and they had added a winter event, athletes were given more control, and the sports were whittled down to those that offered the most opportunity for progression and the tricks and feats possible. That exposure paved the way for those sports. It gave them a platform that brought in sponsorship money and eventually led to the real, uh, I should say real, not the Psycho Olympics, uh, including BMX racing and skateboarding in uh, their summer games. And next week's guest? well. Sal Masakela, the child of a South African trumpeter and a Haitian mother, and one of the only black surfers in Carlsbad, California in the late 80s and early 90s, was among the first commentators on the X Games, not in 1995, but later on in the 90s. It was a relationship that uh, continued up until a few years ago. He now also produces and hosts the vice-wide world of sports, uh, is the face of Red Bull TV, and continues on his father's musical legacy with his own group alakazam so tune in next week we talk to sal about growing up in carlsbad we talked to him about race we talked to him about crafting his voice as a storyteller and expanding it in different directions it's really worthwhile see you next time